iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, Rockers, and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm relieved that Mark Evans isn't in because I had a bit of a crisis over saying hello, Rockers. I, I was saying it, and then a few weeks ago, he was on, on the seat where Steve Jones is currently and started laughing his head off to the point we had to re record. And now I feel I'm a kind of a Butlin's red coat saying it like, <laughs> hello, Rockers. Anyway, unless anyone here objects, I'm going to persist. Uh, persist, please. Persist. And I'm glad Mark Evans is not here because the rest of us can Honestly, get a word in now. I couldn't. <laughs> He was. We had to re-record the intro because he was spluttering into the mic. Anyway, hello, Ruckers. Welcome to this week's episode of your favourite rugby podcast from the Times and Sunday Times. Uh, it's a momentous day for us. Stephen Jones is in the studio, uh, rugby correspondent for the Sunday Times, and we have a debut appearance from Will Kelleher, the new deputy rugby correspondent for the Times. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, well, we're good. Are you? How are you feeling? Yeah, it feels like I've been at the Times for longer than a week. I've, I've been doing plenty of stuff. Euro wranglings that sorted themselves out. Oh, yeah. A match. So, yeah, this is my first ruck. How mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah. Now, well, plenty to come, Will. We'll keep you on your toes. Welcome, Will. Um, Steve, how was your weekend? Excellent. Uh, I had a really nice day in Coventry where we all sat there, being the old cynic saying, well, they, they did that to Leicester, there's no way they're going to do that to Toulouse. And um, they, uh, after five minutes, Toulouse has scored a frighteningly easy try. So that was that. We're never going to hear from Moss again, <laughs> except we did hear one or two things from them. And uh, even the co- the cross-country train was on time, so that was the sort of great week- great weekend it was. It was great. It was uh, we'll, great. we'll explore that game in a lot of depth coming up with Ed Robinson, the, the Wasps skills coach, who's going to join us on the pod. Um, Will, where were you this weekend? Uh, I was at Northampton, Franklin's Gardens, or Cinch at Franklin's Gardens, uh, to give it its proper name, um, on Sunday. And yeah, Please it was <laughs> Courtney Law's 250th game, but they kind of let him down a bit and he went off exhausted mm. um, apparently he had Covid before Christmas so he's trying to get back into it and just run out of gas yeah really. but he'd given everything he was, I was at, um, at West Ham on Sunday watching West Ham lose to Leeds Declan Rice was like a one man performance in the second half couldn't have given any more and it reminded me of Courtney's performance for mm. Northampton everything around him wasn't really working but he was yeah. he just he, he strained every sinew and, and eventually just just burnt himself out after just over an hour. But yeah. extraordinary again from him. Yeah, no, he was he was epic. And actually, as you guys are aware, there was a sort of the worried look when he's got both arms on his head and going off, and you think, oh, England squad yeah. out on Tuesday. But Phil Dowson told us afterwards that he was just knackered and told us that that was it. It was a sort of a European weekend from the sublime to the ridiculous. Really, we had some extraordinary games that we thought would um, had, had brought a competition back to life. That on this point in particular, we've criticised the format and the how people take it seriously. And then we had the ridiculous Leinster-Montpellier game, which which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, 
we'll cast our minds ahead to Eddie Jones naming his his squad for the Six Nations. Um, but before we get there, Steve, you've been you've been looking at the at the World Cup playoffs. Yeah, um, yeah fascinating. Ch- Chile Chile have got USA this year. Yeah. What would you? How well, do you see no, that? The thing is, I just, just thought we'd mention it because Chile are. Um, um, uh, we, we all need a new, a brand new team in the competition. Someone who's not been there before. Someone who can prove that the game is is um, is is spreading. And mm. Chile have been fantastic. They beat the USA, if you remember, Los Condores. Los Condores beat beat the USA. Uh, they got some great. Uh, I, I just talk about the the forwards. They got some great forwards there. Diego Escobar, Luis Salvado. Uh, Ramondo Martinez, a great flanker. Um, the, the, these guys, are Alfonso Escobar, these guys are all in their twenties, yeah. which which is is is, is bloody good. Um, so the, the, these are the forwards. I don't know if anyone knows the backs, well, but these are some of the Chilean great Chilean forwards. Any any thoughts on the backs, Will? I've sensed the stitch up here. <laughs> Timestamp on the stitch up. What were we five past eleven on so Monday what do, morning? What do, what do you mean? This is a serious rugby pod. This is <laughs> Chile, one of the, the important Chileans? teams of. Oh, I of think they're going to be fantastic. Yeah, the hopefully they get the to the World no, Cup. Which, which players in the backs, though, do you think will be guiding them? In the back, so yeah. I think that well, the fly half and scrum half that's usually where the the meat of it is. It isn't yeah, it? you don't know the names or anything. No, I don't. Okay. Know, okay. <laughs> welcome, well, welcome, <laughs> welcome, Will Keller to the rock. Um, coming up, we'll go through all the, the the key European action from the weekend. We'll chat to Ed Robinson from Wasps, uh, examine who should or might be in Eddie Jones' England Six Nations squad. And Jess Hayden will be back with her regular update on the weekend's action in the Alliance Premier 15s. So I mentioned Europe was was a case of the sublime to the ridiculous. We had some some fantastic games, really tight wins this weekend. Uh, Wasps obviously against Toulouse, which we'll discuss. Um, Harlequins edged it at, uh, at Cardiff, 36-33. Um, Exeter were in, in, involved in a real, a real battle for an hour or so against Glasgow, but before pulling clear, and obviously Leicester left it to the very last play of the game to win out in Connaught. Some, you know, some, which is exactly what you want, isn't it, guys? From yes. European games, tight, down to the down to the whistle, one play in it, all that kind of thing. They were all on as well. All the games were t- all took place, which was great because yeah. it looked like there was a time when it wasn't. But it's funny because you're still trying to catch up with the way the competition is meant, meant to, yeah. to pan out. I mean, I spent about an hour last night looking at the laws, l- looking at the bylaws for qualification. It, it, it is a problem because you it, never it, know what what one game means for anyone else. No, you don't. You, you don't. And, not and, playing and, everyone. And we won't do till the weekend. Yeah. Uh, till they're all done. But uh, look, there was some great rugby. Some real, uh, in my opinion, devaluation of the tournament by certain teams. But there was there some great rugby. I, I saw the epic was to lose game. Cardiff Quinns was 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 excellent as well for many reasons, and, and really nice to see Exeter play well, and also Bristol come coming through. If you're an English fan, not so good. Welsh clubs again, Cardiff apart, very very weak. This time last week, we were talking about English clubs potentially boycotting a their trips to France yeah. and luckily that didn't happen I think the European Cups needed a good weekend and probably got one Yeah. and next weekend's going to be fascinating because there's going to be a hell of a lot of moving and shaking to find out who's going to be in those last 16 games and they could be some epic ties you could get some Leinster Munster could be one of them and things like that so 
I think it needed a big weekend and, and got one with some of these quite interesting games. Yeah, we will ask you about Quinns in a sec. We'll give them that you live on their doorstep. But the um, that whole structure, Steve, of, of Europe, I know it's COVID, COVID's had its impact and, and they've they've lost weekends. But if you've got teams that aren't don't care about it, then you, you, do they deserve to be in there? I mean, do we need... No no club, no competition is going to want to to make things small and have fewer games because of the financial impact. Yes. And yet we're in that position where having an enormous competition now is, is undermining itself because you've got you've got teams that don't, don't seem to care. It, it's very difficult. And no one has yet reached oh, the depths of Agen, who, if you remember, years yeah. ago played Pontypridd in, a, I think it was a, the, the second-ranked match, and actually were giggling all the way through through and letting people run through. I think they were banned from the tournament. They, it wasn't quite as bad as that. But when you get a team, a pro team like, like Montpellier, with Philippe Saint-André, who won the league with Sale, uh, just not making any attempt to compete at all. That suggests that, all right, you can always say we, we just took a weak team to rest people, but when you've got Leinster, surely that has got to stir the blood and you go over there and try and beat them. But the, uh, uh, Montpellier were awful against against Leinster. Leinster are very short to match practice. I still don't think they've had any. Mm. I mean, they didn't get match practice from that game. So that, that was poor. Uh, and I thought in terms, I thought that 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 Leicester, mighty Leicester, if they are serious at all, Alex, why on earth would you chuck out a load of players uh, and, the, the, uh, and and not take them? And they were one play away from struggling themselves. So I just I just don't get it. I mean, these days with the salary cap going down and and COVID, it is difficult to cover all competitions. But blimey. Surely, Montpellier, Cardiff, and, and also, I, I, I think, I know we'll come to this later because Will was there, but Northampton, for me, there is something seriously wrong there, and I think Mr Boyd's term had to end, even if he wanted to stay, because he is not firing that team up. Just on the Montpellier one, um, it looked like an Ashes scoreline, didn't it? 89 for yeah. 7. Didn't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> Felt so like Mark Wood was going to come wandering out, trying to go for a <laughs> hooray, Henry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and, and I, you know, Leinster, like you say, see, they haven't. They've been short of match practice. They attack that game to me like, you know, like an aggrieved party because their game in Montpellier was off. Yes. And they claimed that they had government approval to to send a team out. EPCR called it off, gave them a 28 0 defeat. Yeah. And it felt like they had to go and not only make up those twenty eight points but, yeah. but then some and did it with ease. It was it was it was really poor for the competition. Northampton lost to an a weakened Ulster team and we talked we've talked about Courtney and what a Titan he is for them and, and for England and, and Eddie Jones will be desperate that he gets back to, to full whack for the Six Nations. But yeah, the the news sort of confirmed since our last pod that that Chris Boyd will leave in the summer that Phil Dowson will take over as director of rugby and Sam Vesti will will get a head coach's role. Um they were at those two actually running the show on on the weekend because Chris Boyd was was banned is banned for two games for for comments about the referee uh after the Saracens game claiming he didn't have the nuts to to penalize Saracens on their own line. Mm. Um well what what did you make of it when you were there? It, it was very strange because Chris Boyd was allowed to attend the game. Um, so he was there. He was sitting up on the Barwell stand. Yeah, it's just banned from coaching. Yeah, so he wasn't allowed to be involved on the match day, but apparently he'd prepare the team during the week and will do this week when they're going to Racing 92 in Paris next weekend. 
which could be a bit of a dangerous mm. afternoon for them. That's not where you, what you were. No, that's not where you want to go if in you're in the big cinema the in um, in Paris. Yeah. So yeah, it was strange. It was as I wrote in the Times today in the match report. It was a sort of glimpse of the future with Dowson and Vesti in charge, but same old problems. I mean, that was I, I do like a stat, and that was their sixth. <laughs> European Champions Cup defeat in a row which is a record for the club the last time they won a game in Europe um, if you guys remember was when they got to the quarterfinals after the postponed lockdown period and played Exeter yeah. when Amani Yogan had to play oh, at yeah, yeah. Loosehead Prop um, down at Sandy Park in front of no fans um, and they got beaten easily in that game and since they've lost every single pool mm. game so Are they back in that cycle that they, they were in previously where I remember Stuart Barnes wrote a column on it where they'd strive all year to qualify for the Champions Cup and then they'd get there and they it was like, what's the point? You know, they, they weren't competitive in it. I don't I don't feel like clubs do this on purpose, but for years I've had a real problem with premiership teams. And I know we were talking about Montpellier first, but I think the English clubs have a lot to answer for too in years gone by. And not necessarily this season because Quinns have done well, but there's the usual drama about coming in the top eight or previously the top six Harlequins, Gloucester, Bath, Northampton all those sides make a big deal about getting in Europe and then previously in the old format they'd lose one game and then phone it in for the rest of the competition Quinns have certainly done that in years gone by I remember Paul Gustard resting a whole load of players for an Ulster game at home which they got beaten easily in Um, Bath have done it for years Northampton whether they've wanted to or not have as we said lost six in a row so it's a massive problem. And personally, I think the European Cup should be fewer teams. Mm. I feel like it should be an elite 16, five from each league, plus the, um, the winner of the Challenge Cup from the year before. Keep it tighter, because having a baggy 24-team tournament where seven or eight teams, firstly, don't have a hope, and secondly, when they get there, just get beaten easily. I mean, things like 89-7, there's just no point. I mean, the stat on that one as well was that was the biggest defeat in the Champions Cup for 17 years and the largest margin of victory for 21 years. So that's not good for the tournament, is it? Just, just make sure we don't miss one of the threads here, though, because um, there are there are teams, you you must hand it to, to Munster, Ulster, uh, Leinster, and, and indeed Connaught. They really give it, the, t- the tournament, something. I mean, look, I think one of the reasons is because these guys can, can, can qualify so easily from what used to be the Celtic Cup, now is the URC, uh, that they don't have to bust a gut every year. But you take Munster, went to to uh, to Castro. Castro, one of the great non-triers, but actually they did try this time. And as usual, Munster found a way to get through. Ulster found a way to get through. Uh, Leinster eased through. These guys know better than anyone what it takes to win in Europe. And uh, anyone, a lot of others could take a... Um, to take an example from the Alex. It's a classic less is more argument, isn't it, Will, that we've had on this pod about all rugby, that you can have you can have loads and loads of European games, but if, if they start to not mean enough or teams don't can't invest in them because they're too worried about domestic stuff, then, then those games themselves lose their value. Absolutely. I, I would be an advocate of, of, small, of everything being smaller, totally. all competitions being smaller and more elite, and therefore each game is a bigger event and you can market it better, you can charge more for tickets because uh, people have got fewer chances to go. I mean, you know, I'm no economist, but that's that's the way I'd structure 
all, all rugby but, but, tests as well. When this thing started, there were things like there were games in um, Spain, uh, uh, the Catalan team would play there, uh, Perpignan. There were some much, much bigger games. And, and, and the, at the moment, I think this tournament is just slipping down. It used to be overwhelmingly the biggest, bigger than the leagues. Mm. But as soon as they took it from the last game of the season, like a Super Bowl, and took it back inside the league, that 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 was no good. Now the French uh, and and the English are justified in saying that actually it can't be justified as the number as the number one above the leagues anymore. And and, and also the the problem is I agree with you both about less is more. But until rugby is run by independent people. And 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 a sort of um, a chief exec running the league, uh, 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 who is independent, all the and it, while it's being run by the clubs, all who have a vote, they're just going to vote for whatever suits them, mm. and they're not going to vote them their way out of a competition. So it's partly rugby administration, but I, I'm worried about the Champions Cup because it is not remotely as big as it was. We'll just I'll throw to you on that Cardiff Quinns game, but. Of, of all the teams who deserve a hat tip that you've mentioned, Steve, I'd, I'd throw in Cardiff as well. They've done admirably well, but lost all their games. Yeah. But there's a, a huge amount of context to that. I mean, I, again, this is going to become a theme, but the, an, another damning stat, I guess, is that the Welsh teams are failing to make the knockout stages for the 10th time in 13 seasons. Mm-hmm. They almost got out of jail because Will Boyd turned over Sam Riley when he went blind and was isolated. But then Willis Alahola drops the ball. Hugh Jones clicks it clear. Priestland shovels the ball to Josh Adams. He's isolated. Dino Lamb turnover. Marcus Smith wins the game with a penalty. So, heartbreaker. But I wonder how different that might have been with fans in the ground. Yeah. They'd have been jumping, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, the whole thing about the Anglo-Welsh games, is that, as those of us uh, above the age of 80 remember, is that the, the hostility mm. w- was really massive. And uh, Ospreys, incidentally, um, the biggest the biggest, and the most uh, in, invested in club. Blimey, what the heck, heck are they doing? The Toby Booth is a great coach. I mean, they're going to be one of these teams that if you finish real bottom of the division, you don't even get in the... In the, uh, in the Challenge Cup, mm. and they're going to be one of the embarrassing people. I think who might not even get in the secondary competition, which is just awful. It's they could be awful. banned too for their horrendous car key kit. They were copying Quinton. Hang on, that. there's a few horrendous kits going around. <laughs> that game, particularly, Rassing were playing in red, yeah. and and the Ospreys are in sort of weird camo khaki. Yeah, there's a few other. That Quinn's kit is. I'm not. I'm not keen on Bristol. Bristol managed to debut their. Yeah, their European first game, they got the multicolour kit out. Yeah, after Dude. after two cancelled games, they they took the field, beat Stad, who were who were in quite a they were in quite a flashy number mm. as well. The one I did enjoy actually, and I'm not a massive fan of European kits, and I no. do find it. We were talking about Bath earlier. They bring out a European kit every year, and I don't think they've qualified for the last eight for what decades. Um, but no, the Toulouse one was really nice actually. Yeah. The red with the gold. I mean, they're champions. I quite like the fact... I feel like the champions should be allowed to do a European kit with a bit of gold on it for the next season. You and they had a huge sleeve thing that said, we have just won the Champions Cup last year that was quite sort of fun. So they're allowed it, but the other teams are not so sure. Yeah, I bet the listeners are really delighted to get your fashion view, you two, as well, honestly. <laughs> They've been, been making notes now to make sure they follow up with your, <laughs> yeah. the, the fashion gurus. <laughs> the... the, the, the the sleeve branding didn't help them much at the Coventry Building Society Stadium, though, did it, for Toulouse? I mean, that no. was a... 
That was a hell of a day. It was, a hell, of, there. It was a hell of a day. And as I said, we all said, well, there's no way this is going to happen again. Yeah. Uh, th- there's something going on there, which I, I put to a coach last week, but he denied it. He said that everything that happens in the game is is got a technical basis. But I don't I don't agree. Didn't agree with that. There was something there deep in their hearts that that, that was going to take fourth choice players, fifth choice players through again against the the, the the mighty to lose and s- some of the stuff they did actually having said that as well i mean when you look at say the back division odogu was back but it was still completely recast from the week before mm. the, the 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 fullback was at 10 and the atkinson was at um sorry the, the atkinson was at, t- at 10 uh jacob Umaga was at 15 uh the way they defended uh, as a back division considering they'd never played in that formation before was sensational people like Elliot Stook Tom Willis absolutely magic B Yellow who's had a career in the shadows really has just been come out and just blasted it there is something there which is keeping them going through bad times bad financial times huge injuries that it's it's doing them wonderfully well and you have to say probably not this season but next season when they all come back if they do, Wasser are going to be contenders for the top four and for Europe because they got something there that you can't bottle, but is doing them wonderfully well. So I mean, that's that's two two huge wins in in two weeks. They beat Leicester in the Premiership the week before, inflicting on Tigers their first defeat of the season. And, and I was at that game, and and afterwards it, it took Lee Blackett a while to compose his thoughts. Yeah, because he said it was it was a, a victory on that day founded on emotion. Yes, and it, and it did look very similar, Will, on uh, on the weekend. Yeah, I was going to say this time last week, um, I had a really good chat with Paolo Dogwu because we knew he was coming back and returning after seven and a half months out with a knee injury, um, and we used that interview in Friday's paper, The Times, and he was actually talking about the anti-racism stance that Wasps came up with when people were making decisions on whether they wanted to take the knee, and Wasps as a club decided, as a group, that they wanted to do that to sort of support their BMAE players in their side and I think the one thing that he touched upon that's pertinent to what they're doing at the moment is he thinks that they're they're really culturally together in that group and you can so see it and Mm -hmm. I think that someone like Alfie Barbary as you were talking about it's not just tactics that's emotion and you Mm -hmm. can see we've had that amazing picture that Mark Asplund took right Mm -hmm. place at the right time of him roaring looking right down his lens and you can just see and and it was the same, wasn't it, the Leicester game, where he won that turnover and he was almost looking for someone to celebrate with, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah. And you can just kind of see that passion coming through. I love Lee Blackett's dancing. I don't know whether he did another one this week, but the little side shimmy. And he almost apologised for it. And you just think, no, don't. This is great. We want that. Um, I, we should probably now bring into the conversation Ed Robinson, skills coach at Wasps, who can, who can tell us from the inside of the camp what it is that drove uh, Wasps to... To the win against Toulouse and, and, and against Leicester, two, two statement victories for this team. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ed Robinson, thank you for joining us from uh, from the Wasp uh, training ground. We were just before you came on. We were just talking about two momentous wins, but but the spirit and the emotion that seemed to to underpin both of those victories. Just just take us into into the squad in the changing. What what can you can you put your finger on that that sort of emotion that, that's driven these two victories? Yeah, every game means everything to us as a group and. Uh, there was a lot of hurt from the results that we've had um, through the middle part of the season. Um, and there was um, like unbelievable challenges for us to come up against, uh, obviously against Leicester as the top of the league unbeaten and against um, Toulouse, who were the champions of Europe. Uh, so uh, couple that kind of emotion of wanting to prove a point, wanting we've been underperforming. So to actually show everybody what we're about as a group. Um, along with a few personal milestones, uh, Thomas Young's 150th game against um, against Leicester, and, and it's a mark of the group that they wanted to perform for him. And it, it's clear on the field who who sort of leads that that intensity. When you're when you're in camp, when you're preparing for these games, who are the important figures that set that tone that that kind of I guess trigger those emotions uh, within the players to to to. to I guess that leads leads to the, the performances that we saw against against Leicester, that rearguard action at the end, and and of course defeating the European champions. Well, it, it all starts from the top, so it starts from uh, the head coach Lee, and it filters down through the coaching staff and through the captain Brad, and actually someone who's really important for the group um, are the, the off field guys. So the guys who aren't playing at the moment. So Joan Launchbury has a massive impact on the group. Uh, Dan Robson has a massive impact on the group. Uh, and then and then the guys on the field take over when they're on the field. So obviously Brad is massive for that. Um, a guy like Alfie Barbary just brings energy. Um, guys like Tom Willis just bring energy. Uh, they give you everything in every moment. Um, actually, and particularly in the last game, uh, Bialo brought us a lot of energy and a massive try-saving tackle at the end of the uh, the Leicester game. Uh, and that you just find energy from everywhere, and, and there's a lot of guys. We're lucky we've got a lot, a lot of guys within the group who will bring energy. When you, um, this, I'm just talking about injuries and your role. If there are 19, 20 players injured, which you have at, at some stages, does that mean that you yourself, in your personal dealings with individuals, have to have to fast track them if they're suddenly in the first team? Yeah, I think uh, we're preparing everybody to be ready to step into that role, and and. 
the way the world works, the way the game works, you don't know when your opportunity is going to come and you just got to be ready for it. And, and that would tend to be how we prepare everybody anyway, because everything at WASP is about getting uh, better as an individual and as a team. Um, so we're always looking at ways to, to help uh, players to get better um, and, and then to be ready when, when their chance comes. But yeah, it's, it, it doesn't change too much uh, because we know what the game's like and we know that, that your opportunity can come at any moment. Um, but obviously it has been heightened with the, with the situation that we've been in. The the, uh, the the youngsters that we we see out there, you know, that um, scrum half, fly half, um, and then uh, Jacob played fullback this week, and there's there's a couple of obviously uh, scr- um, front rowers, etc. You as a coach must be delighted with the way that they've responded when they've got out there in these big games. The the people that not so not so well known as the likes of Joe Launchbury, etc. Yeah, that's it. Um... Uh, particularly uh, Charlie Atkinson, I think he's been outstanding uh, in the last two games, playing fly half as a as a young fly half, um, and he's been tasked with some pretty tough situations to go up against George Ford against Leicester, and then uh, to deal with a, a red card in the in the second game, um, and he's he just deals with that. He just takes it all uh, in his stride. Uh, we did a lot of work with him when he was um, when he was injured around managing games and. Um, how he can add something to his game, and every project that I set him, he just dived headfirst into it. Um, and it, it's testament to his work that he's been able to handle it, like you say. Hi, hi, Ed. It's Will here. Um, hope you're well. Uh, one I wanted to ask you about was Alfie Barbary, who seems to be your kind of all-action hero, especially in the last couple of weeks. Can you give us a bit of insight about what he's like? He seems such a bundle of fun and energy around the place. Yeah, no, he is. Uh, He's, a, he's an individual character, um, and he's, a, he's an important member of the group. Um, he's someone who, as soon as he steps over the line, will give you everything he's got. Um, and sometimes we've got, to, um, we've got to manage him to make sure he's not he's giving everything in the game for us. Uh, because, it, because what we want is guys who will give everything. So every moment they're on the field, doesn't matter what kind of session it is, they're going to give everything, and, and he's one of those guys. There was one thing that Lee Blackett told us, I think before Christmas, where he said Alfie's the sort of guy that if he's losing at Monopoly, he'll flip the board open. <laughs> Do you think that that competitive spirit is what's driving him over the last few weeks? I mean, we saw that Leicester one where he was roaring and celebrating having won that turnover, and then the try this weekend against Toulouse where he's punching the air too. Yeah, well, it's easy to do in those moments when you score, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, he's... Like that competitiveness, and we try and drive the competitiveness through training. Uh, almost everything we do is sport, and there's meaning to things, and there's consequences uh, similar to what you find in the game. And we're trying to drive that spirit within the group. Um, I think looking at Leicester, they are a group who have that to every single member of the squad. And what they're able to do week on week is to dig out performances and results like they've done. Um, and what we're finding now is we've been able to do that in the last two weeks. And we've got to make sure uh, through guys like Alfie and through their spirit um, that we continue this momentum that we've built. How do you back it up then? It's the backs to the wall hat trick it could be with Munster coming next. How, how are you going to raise yourself again for that one to try and make it into a good seeding for the last 16? So I think it's all in how we plan our preparation. Uh, we, after the Leicester game, um, Lee had a great idea of uh, letting the guys refresh mentally because it was such a tactical battle as well as a physical battle. 
Um, and so what we did after the Leicester game is we, we let the guys refresh mentally and we kept them in for a very short period of time. Uh, we got all the work that we needed to do done. We asked them to get to a certain level um, of intensity when we trained. But then as soon as that finished, um, we let the guys recover. Um, and, and we were able to back up that performance against Toulouse. And, and like you say, the challenges just keep coming away at Munster. Um, and so we, we're going to approach this week slightly differently. We're lucky that we get an extra day's rest. We've got a, a slight tweak to the schedule uh, to make sure we're, again, we're physically and mentally prepared to uh, to have extraordinary effort again. Thanks, Ed Robinson, for joining us on the right with a, a fascinating insight into life at Wasps on over two big weekends. Now, coming up next on The Ruck, uh, Jess Hayden will give us all the latest uh, from the Allianz Premier 15s. Uh, the three of us here will discuss who might or should be in Eddie Jones' England squad and we'll have our God or Goddess of the Week feature. In the Premier 15s, Saracens beat Loughborough Lightning 27-12 to regain their place at the top of the Premier 15s table with a two-point lead on Bristol Bears. The Bears momentarily held the top spot after beating DMP Durham Sharks 48-7 before Saracens overtook them. I mentioned in the last episode of The Ruck that the DMP Durham Sharks were struggling to compete in this league, having lost 104-0 to Saracens in the previous round. In the last week, the RFU have stepped in to help DMP improve their performance, and while 48-7 isn't a scoreline most clubs would celebrate, the last time these sides played, Bristol won 115-0, so perhaps it's a small step in the right direction for DMP. Elsewhere, Gloucester Hartbury beat Sale Sharks 17-3 to stay strong in fifth place and keep up the pressure on the top four. Wasps travelled to Worcester and were ready to play at Sixway Stadium when the match was suddenly called off because the matchday ambulance had not arrived. Worcester released a statement to say they had explored all avenues before agreeing to postpone the fixture. The best was saved until last this weekend with Harlequins versus Exeter Chiefs. Raiding champions Harlequins led for most of the game before Exeter took the lead with the final kick of the game. With Quinns ahead 17-15 and the clock red, Exeter's Patricia Garcia kicked a penalty to secure the narrow victory. So the scores from round 11 are... Loughborough Lightning 12, Saracens 27, Gloucester Hartbury 17, Sale Sharks 3, DMP Durham Sharks 7, Bristol Bears 48, and finally, Exeter Chiefs 18, Harlequin 17. So the Six Nations is looming. Uh, this week, Eddie Jones will name his squad, uh, his England squad. Now, as we record, we think it'll be um, in a number in the 30s. We think it'll probably be pitched for the first game or maybe the first two games against Scotland and Italy. Um, we had Ed Robinson on earlier, as you heard. Alfie Barbary's a name on everyone's lips at the moment. Um, surely, well, Steve, Alfie will now get back into that, that squad, which he has been in before, before in injury intervened. He's got to be in there, hasn't he? And if he does, it's going to be fascinating how they unleash him and yeah. when. Uh, Eddie Jones has always been fairly keen to dampen the hype around young players, hasn't he? Maro Toje, he waited longer than us in the press might have wanted. And same with Marcus Smith, he waited a very long time until he got him in pretty much only for the first time last summer, didn't he? But Alfie Barber, if you look at the back row and you could have Courtney Laws, Tom Curry, Sam Underhill, Alfie Barbary, Alex Dombrandt, that's a hell of a dynamic set Sam of Simmons. back rows. Sam Simmons hasn't even been mentioned. Lewis Ludlam. That's mm. pretty tasty, isn't it? What I like about Barbary, and, and I think one of the reasons that Eddie remains uncertain at the moment about Alex Dombrandt and Sam Simmons is is that they are very dynamic in the loose. 
Barbary will make you metres where there are no metres to be gained. Like he will shrug people off, carry defenders with him, get his team going forward through traffic. And I think Eddie Joe, well, I know because he's, he's talked about it, Eddie Joe's prizes that uh, quality enormously for his back row players, particularly if he's looking at a number eight. It's the balance, isn't it? Um, he tried Courtney Laws at six um, pretty successfully in the autumn tests. And you just wonder if Tom Curry's back at seven, which I personally think and lots of us think is his best position, then what it's do you want your eight position. to be? Yeah. It's his only yeah. position. So then a Barbary character at eight with a Simmons or a Dombrant off the bench or the other way round, I mean, that is really strong. You've got, and you, there's an embarrassment of riches now for England. We, Steve, you, you will have reported on, on England teams for a long time, sort of post 03, where they were scratching around for, for bat row options. And, and now, you know, um, Will's naming a list there, which he didn't initially include Sam Simmons, wouldn't include Ben Earl, who a year ago was seen as that, that, that classic bench, versatile, um, dynamic, skillful bat row player who now. Hasn't featured this year for England. Um, sorry, this season for England. Well, look, you're right, but we're talking here about um, perceived wisdom and what we may have heard and what we think should happen. That never applies when Eddie's picking a team. Mm. It'll be the usual Disney enterprises with Mr. M. Mouse and Mr. D. Duck f- uh, f- um, figuring prominently in the squad, rather than people who deserve it. What the whispers I've heard uh, make me aghast that yet again he doesn't twig that the English public, and I speak from many years of experience, love the Grand Slam. Suddenly the the, the, the sponsors love it. People don't mind paying 200 quid to, to go in there. There's a great... There are, there are reverberations through every town and county, city, hamlet and, and, and churchyard. And um, that, that never happens. What you say about the back rise is that I totally agree with. But that's who you, we three might pick. It doesn't mean Eddie will pick him. I mean, to be honest, with, fr- frankly, I'd be frank. Going to Barbary and saying you are you are a back row forward, that is completely scandalous. But Barbary is a young man; he's not yet developed. Maybe Bath are going to be short of a hooker, and they want him there because he's definitely got the build of a hooker. And these days, hookers play like front flankers at the front of a lineout. So, look, we, we, we're talking, or you two guys are talking sense here. Sense goes out the window when Eddie Jones picks an England team. Just on that note, and to put a bit more meat on the bone of the the Disney characters that Steve mentioned, um, I might not go that far, but the word is that, well, we're probably going to get a few classic Eddie-type picks where the unexpected guys that us lot who write about rugby a lot have probably not seen much of them play. um, And it's no disrespect to any of the guys' picks, but it's always the case, isn't it, where we get two or three characters who no one would have written before who are in the squad. I mean... A few names that I might chuck in that are possibly were doing the rounds. Will Goodrick Clark from London Irish is, is a big loose head who might get a, a call up. Um, guys like Ollie Hassel Collins, who's been in the squad before. I mean, another area where England have got an absolute plethora of options. Mm. And he's he's been in brilliant try scoring form. But when you've got the likes of uh, Jack Knoll possibly coming back in, Adam Radwan, Johnny May, I mean, Anthony Watson's currently injured. You've got Stewart, Malins, Marchant. Northmore might be a new pick as well um, and then another one doing the rounds Orlando Bailey could well get a shout too I mean he's a young guy on the rise 
but um, I think I know what Steve might think of picking a young guy possibly before he's so, achieved lots at club level. What we're saying here is that the accent, we think the accent on on an England squad for this Six Nations will be still on uncovering new talent. What, we, what we're saying here is that it doesn't feel like that the Macos and the Billies and the George Fords are, are, are in the mix. And Steve, you also what I agree with. In fact, I, I, think, I, think, I think we underplay the Grand Slam in the sense that that should be everything. We've, yeah. allowed, we've allowed the narrative to develop that England are happy winning Six Nations titles. Yes. That, that didn't used to be, it used to be the Grand Slam or, or nothing, really. It, it, and, and, it was and the Grand Slam, I think. And, you know, if people, I, I've seen Wales at Twickenham uh, take the the championship trophy, I think it was Yian Evans, uh, having lost at Twickenham, which was bad enough, but they were still champions and they absolutely hated it because the Grand Slam was everything. Now, you can say, look, it's only Italy, Scotland, but actually Italy are, are awful. Scotland are improving, Ireland are hellish difficult France could have a great season and Wales will definitely definitely improve on their on their autumn because they always do the Grand Slam is worth winning now Woodward didn't win it for a long time because he kept on losing the last game by a single point it is difficult it's hellishly difficult to win and it is worth winning and then you get people behind them Eddie Jones keeps on saying oh you press you're after me you have to you want to get rid of me if you won every game, Eddie, no one, no one would do anything but lay and um, strew palm trees in front of your feet. Is this squad um, an example of where th- where life is difficult for an England coach? In the sense that you, we've, too many options. We've looked at that back row. There just there are international standard players everywhere. We look at fly half. <clears throat> you've got you know any country in the world would want either of those two players. One of whom, George Ford, may well not be in the squad at all. You could look second row, you could look front row, where England have got some issues in terms of depth, particularly at tight head, we think, but they've got more options than anyone else. Steve, does that make life harder in some ways? Like like in, in Wales, if you've got if you've got one player, you're picking that player and you stick with him and he's won fifty caps before he's twenty three, twenty four, and he is your man. England is there a temptation is, are there too many options? Does that mean no, harder? No, I, I, re, I refuse to feel sorry for England because they've got a lot, lot of choice of players. Don't forget. Well, I'm not the, saying the, feel the, sorry the, for them, but it's a different challenge. Ronan, Ronan O'Gara, the great Ronan O'Gara, had loads and loads of terrible games for Ireland in the first of his career. I thought he was awful, but because they didn't have anyone else, they kept on picking him. Eventually, he became fantastic. That that can that can be advantageous sometimes. And New Zealand haven't got that much. Whatever they think, they haven't got that much depth. England have got depth. When you we've get these we get these notes every day that five coaches are going to watch rugby matches live, then they're going to watch them on video. So everyone then they speak to their coaches, then they speak to the players. Everyone has got all the information they need to pick the best side or at least the best combination. Sam Simmons might not go with certain flankers. Ditto Alex Don, Alex Donbrandt. I, I think Alex Donbrandt is a good player. I can see why they'd pick him. I can also see why they wouldn't pick him. Mm. But that is why they're there. That's why they're international selectors to to, to, to find it. You know, I mean, it's a bit difficult, easier with cricket because you just look at the runs they score or haven't scored. Or don't score. Or don't but, score. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. With, you know, if you scored ten, no. For <laughs> for the next 10 years but um, no I, I don't think so and I, and I think that the people like Woody and Andy Robinson now Andy Robinson wasn't a great head coach of England he was a brilliant coach teamed up brilliantly with Clive Woodward they knew 
what the team was. And if you remember, their World Championship team, only one player came in in the 18 months before the tournament. That was Josh Lucy. Mm. No one else did. And that, if he's if he really aiming at the world team now, that's what they should be doing. It is up to him to sort it out and not have selection by scattergun. So, Ruck listeners won't have met me before, but... I have a quite um, obsessive and, and tragic streak in me. And I've, over the Eddie Jones's tenure as England but coach... Don't bring up the red trousers <laughs> now, for God's sake. No, this is not the trousers. This is my Excel spreadsheet that has um, documented every player that Eddie Jones has picked over his uh, tenure since 2016. And we shall see. But this week we might get to the double top 180... Um, of players that he's picked we're about 174 at the moment so we'll, he, he usually chucks in about 6 or 7 uncapped players but there's a hell of a lot of players there's something like 30 back rowers that have come in and whether that's a Barbar squad that's sl- slightly different or when the lines are away and I think you're right I mean I covered in my previous role Wales a lot and they picked the same guys largely for a decade pretty much mm. the sort of George North Lee Halfpenny Alan Wynne Jones guys and there is time, I think, there, because the pool is smaller, to have a few bad years and you're still in contention because you are an elite player. Whereas with England, that we've seen hundreds of characters come, win five caps and then be discarded. You mentioned Ben Earl earlier. Mm. Ollie Lawrence is another one. Um, we've Alex got Lazowski is another one. Alex Lazowski. I mean, that 2018 game against Japan was the sort of end of a thousand careers, wasn't it? With yeah. Danny Kerr getting discarded and... Uh, Jack Noll playing centre and Owen Farrell having to kind of rescue it off the bench, didn't he? Okay, so England start their Six Nations away away in Scotland. Let's do let's whiz through a sort of a, a depth chart per position. Will you were talking before we came on air on on the, on the tight head situation? Mm. What's your what's your pecking order well, there? Well, I think there is only two real sort of established options, um, and I'm worried on England's behalf that it might become his. 2023 scrum half whereas in 2019 Ben Spencer's flying out the eve before the World Cup final and with no caps pretty much because they haven't had anyone else in camp so Carl Sinclair clearly the number one choice and Will Stewart has been the number two choice but after that what else have they got they've got plenty of options but not many have had mm-hmm. a cap Joe Hayes Paul Hill guys like that Dan I mean, Cole come back yeah well but it doesn't look likely but I mean that could be a problem area. Steve Hooker? Uh, Jamie George, first, last and always. Um, unbelievable competitor. It was a gross insult to him that to say you're being dropped because we want to test your metal. That was absolutely disgraceful. And behind him, Cowan Dickey? C- Cowan Dickey, yes. And then... P. Allo is a, tight, is a backup tight head prop, clearly. <laughs> uh, Lou said it's Genjin and Marla. Joe Marla. Um, I'd have Marla start, have Marla especially in Scotland, I would Genge, say. Genge off the bench. i got a huge question mark about Genge as an international rugby player. Which is uh, technical? Temp- or... temp- temperament and technical. Mm. And it's shared by a lot of premiership coaches as terms of scrummaging. Second row, I think we're, we're probably mostly it's agreed. Itoji plus one, isn't it? Itoji plus... Hill, probably. Itoji plus Hill. I think Hill's playing out of his skin. Hill played brilliantly in defeat at, at Harlequins the other day. Might be interesting a year from now when George Cruz is back. Mm. Yeah. I suspect it might be a Toji plus Cruz by then. The other one is interesting too, and I'm not sure whether he'll be in the squad or not, but Joe Launchbury's coming back very soon. Mm. He needs a game, clearly. But he's a bit of an Eddie favourite 
and is a, a clearly international class rugby player, sixty odd caps. You've got you. If you play Joe, you've got to play a, a jumper in your back row, though. It yeah. affects your it back changes row. the balance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and there are loads of players. A kind of a you know, Nick Izetqui is another another example of those play uh, the Kolesovsky yeah. yeah. school who um, just fell on the wrong side of of an opinion and, and haven't been seen yeah. since back row. We've We've looked at, but if you name name three to start against Scotland, Steve Curry, Billy, um, Courtney. Well, I would go for Laws at six, Curry at seven, and then Dombrand eight with a Barbary bench. Yeah, I think I'd stick with Underhill and Curry against Scotland with Courtney at six because they're the, the breakdown. So Curry at eight then. Yeah, yeah. Breakdown. I'm 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 unconvinced by. Him as an eight, for sure, but I think the value of having Curry and Underhill against Scotland and their turnover kings is enormous, and you've got to play Courtney against Watson but, and uh, Richie. Uh, yeah. As my mother used to say, reference your selection of Curry. There's no point in having a dog and bark, buying a dog and barking yourself, and that's what you're doing if you've got a great open side flanker. Nine, uh, young nine's plus interesting. Two, isn't it? It's it, it's it's going to be Youngs. You think. Randall and Quirk as the three, which mm. maybe Mitchell, starts. Mitchell, Mitchell, maybe Mitchell. If you want your wonder boy at ten, I'd have Care at nine. I mean, I would have Care there too, but he's just not going to get picked. So I think that's a bit of a moot. Randall's point, the closest, yeah. like, 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 like Randall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm picking Smith at ten. Will's going to pick Smith, Smith at, at 10. ten. Yeah, yeah. Steve, and, you're uh, picking. Well, there's a third, third choice just come in from Gregor Townsend. Um, <laughs> uh, if fit, uh, George Ford definitely. If fit, Farrell. Yeah, so Farrell's an interesting one because he is due to make his comeback yeah. from injury on Saturday against London Irish. Sunday against London Irish right. in the Challenge Cup. Wow. He hasn't played since he was injured in the Australia game in November. Right, we're back exactly where we were pre last Six Nations with Owen Farrell having not played any rugby. Right, um, the squad will be named before he makes his comeback. I suspect He'll probably be in it, but it wouldn't be a surprise if he wasn't in it on the just on the basis that it's a it's an initial squad. Right. Um, if he's there, I'm, I suspect he'll be involved. I think he'll play twelve. Mm. If he's there, just... I'd personally be amazed if he doesn't start every game he's available. No, for. no. What you can't so. do is play him twelve. If you, if you want to play your wonder boy, you can't play Smith and Farrell at ten and twelve in in modern era, especially against jo- against there, Jonathan Dante. My choice, unbel- definitely. He doesn't play for Scotland, though. No, or France. <laughs> My choice, he, well before uh, he was anywhere near the England team, because I was, I've been banging his drum for ten, five years. Is Mark Atkinson? He's got power and he can play rugby. And just because he didn't come up through the old desperate schools scholarship. And then the under sixes, the under tens, the under twenties. Just because you didn't do that, they don't rate him. He's a really good player. I and do you're like gonna, You are going to need his strength Agreed. in the centre. He could be a bit of an Esther Hazen figure for mm. England, who's someone who can kick off both feet, pass well, comes doesn't comes to the line, pulls the ball back for someone coming round the corner, can carry hard too. He's Brilliant a good character. option. Brilliant. It will have. It will yeah. Bring absolutely everything to that camp. You, you can have Smith Farrell ten twelve, even if you've got. Manu at 13 which is oh, no, probably Manu, won't but that's different that's what I said in the paper on Sunday if Manu's yeah. there the whole thing the changes, whole thing changes yeah. but he isn't there which is why I've repeatedly said he's the most important player for England because if he's there they can play what they want if he's not there well, exactly. everything becomes 
isn't that's, it? That's what I said in column 46 of the yeah. Sunday Times yesterday. Didn't quite get that far. Isn't, right, it, no, <laughs> isn't it fascinating, though? We're in 2022. Still talking. And we're still talking about where's Owen Farrell's best position 10 years on, and we're still talking about man who changes England's back line yeah. 10, 11 years on. Yeah. It's the same problems every single year. Yeah. Or not necessarily problems, but conundrums. And I think and, and one of the interesting things between now and the World Cup in terms of England selections is how malleable it all becomes. So the the big kind of standout selection in the autumn was Manu picked on the wing in jersey number. He didn't actually play on the wing. What actually happened was that Henry Slade played fullback. Yeah. And and then we then we had Joe Marchant playing on the wing, a centre playing on the wing. Mm. Freddie Stewart played on the wing a bit. Max Malins in the summer was picked on the wing because Eddie likes a, f- a fullback who and did his shoulder got injured. Did his shoulder. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of that kind of yeah. movement, which is why Jack Noel coming back yeah. would fit that template yeah. perfectly because he can pop up anywhere and be effective. Noel was our Saturday interview and he was, I think it was heartening what he was saying because as we wrote in the interview that after a couple of years out, people kind of get forgotten a bit, don't they? But it sounds like he's been in quite constant yeah, contact he, with him. He said Eddie, Eddie speaks to me all the time. He yeah, said, yeah, and I think that's good. And I said uh, that he speaks to me all the time as well. <laughs> and I think he could be a bit of a... Like we're talking about with Esther Hayes and figure in Atkinson, he could kind of be the Caden Murley type figure f- mm. that Quinns have got with Smith, who's coming off his wing, bustling through contact, sometimes an auxiliary flanker. He's strong, got big legs, hasn't he? And it can be that cross field kick option as well for Smith that he uses so well. Jack, we got full fullback uh, Stewart is is been playing superbly. I don't want to create a question marks where there aren't any but they have got to make sure that Malins is in that squad somewhere because he's a superlative player. And I, I, I don't have him much below Stewart as a fullback either. May's a fascinating one as well. Um, he absolutely gives everything for England and has been a star for quite a long time now. But he, when it goes to club form, he hasn't been pulling up loads of trees, has he, really? For he's Gloucester. very quiet for England, I should That's why he didn't go on, this, mm. on the Lions tour. But... He's probably, again, he's an Eddie favourite. He's one of the leadership guys, isn't he? He drives a bit of standards and stuff like that in, in camp, so you'd suspect he would be in. Look, so Alex is a, together, a leadership figure on, on the ruck, but we never Driving standards. <laughs> We're doing our extras after this. But again, it just goes back to the point, the number of options. You know, Anthony Watson's injured, and England could still field a back three that that, that would would strike fear into teams because because you've got a Malins and a Stewart and a, and a May if he's firing... Or Jack Noel, who um, I just think he's, he brings everything. So, I, I think if Radwin is as quick as they say he is, he's got to have a yeah. chance. He's got to have a chance. Eddie likes having a quick winger and a work rate winger. So it's May or Radwan, and then a Noel or Malins kind right, of figure, enough, isn't it? Enough. With Stewart at fullback. Yeah, oh, well, I think yeah, I think Malins has, has gas that, that could make him a legit... Kind of and he's a great finisher. I mean, four yeah. tries before Christmas with Sarri's. He was what seven in two games or something like that, yeah. wasn't it? He's he's clearly got some talent, hasn't he? So there you go. There's the right. first selection debate of the Six Nations that will carry on for about the next couple of months, and and then beyond. And to round off Will Keller's debut pod, we'll go to our God or Goddess of the Week feature. Although Mark Evans's input has now opened up a whole new category of Devil of the Week. Although maybe that would only go to the Montpellier selectors, Steve. I think I know who you're going to pick. I think look, I don't often go two in two weeks, but for what he typifies in two great games, I am retur- returning uh, to B. Allo, 
the wasp tight head prop. I think that's tremendous the on the weekend. I've never had the same bloke twice. I'm not sure anyone has been nominated two weeks in a no, row. No, he's back up there. He's up there, the god of the week. I'm I'm sorry, I mean it. Steve, on Big B, how across Spotify are you? B? Yeah, no, Spotify. He's a he's an artist. He's a singer. Well, a, I know that. He's a musician. You need to get down to his underground raves. I do get down to his underground raves. <laughs> what, you mean on the bottom floor? Yeah, 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 yeah the yeah, basement, no, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I didn't know that, but I look him up. So he's good at other things too, not just crashing and bashing in the front row. Right. Um, if it was me, I'm going wasps as well, actually. We might we could get a wasps hat-trick, but I was going to go away from the actual team itself and just give my first one to Lee Blackett. Yeah, good one. I think to bring what he's brought out of that side with so many injuries. I mean, we're getting lists every week at the bottom of the team sheet saying players unavailable and they're 15 to 20 lads. And to beat the champions of Europe and the unbeaten premiership winners in two weeks, wonder if he can do a hat-trick. Pretty special, that. Yeah. Well, it is going to be a wasp hat-trick on this nominations panel because we can't have talked up Alfie Barbary the way we have without somebody putting his name forward so yeah it's Wasps123 I think on on our God of the Week uh, nominations everyone thanks for joining us thanks to Ed Robinson for coming on we'll be back next week to talk Europe and look into the Six Nations VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen VoiceOver on settings so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 